Well, it's glad to see everybody. I'm, I'm happy that you are here. And I hope that you are happy that you are here. Visitors, uh, we've already welcomed you, but I would like to welcome you double. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, please, please, please feel welcome to come to our time of fellowship right after this worship service. We hope that you can do that with us. If this is your first time at Wilshire, we are doing a, a look in our sermon series at the book of Acts. And if you've got Bibles, you might want to open up to Acts chapter 9. We're going to skip around a little bit today, but uh, Acts chapter 9 is kind of the story that we're launching from. And there's handouts being given. This last week, a news story came out. 21-year-old man in Louisiana burned down three uh, black churches in rural Louisiana. I'm not even going to say his name. I don't think he really deserves publicity. And we don't know a lot about his motives yet. There's a couple of leads that connect him to a movement that's kind of odd. It's white supremacist and also anti-Christian. Burning down churches is part of this weird anti, uh, this weird white supremacist movement, because Christianity is a is a foreign religion, according to at least I think this ideology. Well, you know we can just go through the newspapers for the last month, and we could find many sad examples of of attitudes like that. Our world is kind of drenched right now in hate and fear. At least if you read the newspapers, you'd think that everyone is motivated by those actions. What is it that people are afraid of? What motivates that kind of hate? That somehow, if I can build strong enough walls against people that aren't like me, if I can if I can put up strong enough barriers and make fierce enough laws and, and, and act with enough aggression towards people that don't look like me or don't talk like me or that don't believe what I believe, that somehow that's going to make me safer. I think that's where that comes from. I don't think it's a well-thought-out idea. I think it's just that visceral animal fear that says... Hatred will somehow make me safe. The story we're going to look at this morning is a story of a man who hates, who is burning up with hate. And I think if we dig very deeply into his psychology, we see that that hate is born by fear, that somehow people like him are under threat. And if he doesn't react with aggression, if he doesn't react with the full force of the law, that somehow what he's used to is going to be taken away. And that's the story of Saul, Saul of Tarsus. If you're in your Bibles, you're there in, in Acts chapter 9, you kind of have that opening scene. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters 
to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he was found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's the story of, of the man that we want to talk about. This doesn't say that he was a reluctant bureaucrat sent by his government. This says that he took matters into his own hands because he was burning with murderous rage. Murderous rage against this new group that he viewed as a threat to the very life of the religion of the true God that he believed he represented. And so he was taking his show of persecution and oppression on the road. He, he had the kind of influence, he had the kind of connections. I believe uh, the evidence would indicate he had the kind of money it would take to get an audience with the chief priest and to get the chief priest to give him essentially diplomatic papers. Damascus is not part of the territory governed by Jerusalem. It is not in the territory. It was under an entirely different governmental system. They were all under the thumb of Rome, but they were being run in different ways. The synagogues in Damascus, however, had loyalty back to the chief priest in Jerusalem. And that letter from the chief priest meant that he could go and he could count on the synagogues to cooperate with him, to hunt out wherever the Christians were, to drag them forward, to beat them there, and to bring them back to Jerusalem if necessary to stand trial and perhaps to suffer the same fate that we saw happen to Stephen just a chapter earlier. That's Saul. He hates. And I believe he hates because he fears. He's afraid that what Christianity represents is the death of the Jewish religion. He is, he is fighting and persecuting Christians because he believes that God intends for the Jewish religion to be as it is, as Paul has experienced it, forever and ever. And so every time the Christians preach and every time Peter or John or one of the other apostles does a miracle and every time a new crowd comes forward to listen to what the Christians are saying and they talk about this guy Jesus who did all these miracles that Saul has at least heard about, doubt that he ever witnessed any of them, and that this man was killed and has come back to life, Saul can't stand it. And he says these Christians must go. These Christians deserve the worst that my hate can bring to bear against. That's Saul. That's Saul. Which is why the story that we have in the book of Acts is one of the most amazing conversion stories ever. Because look what happens to this man who is increasingly allowing his entire personality to be captivated by hatred and fear. Look at what happens to him. The chapter 9 telling says it this way. As he neared Damascus on his journey, verse 3, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, 
Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. Put yourself in the mind of Saul in that moment. Filled with murderous hatred. Filled with rage. Filled with fear. Believing absolutely that what you are doing is righteous. And the only reason all the other Jews aren't doing what you are is because they don't have the courage and they don't have the moral fiber to be as murderous and vicious as you are. To be struck down, to be blinded by the light and to hear this voice say, why are you persecuting me? And to ask that question, well, who? Am I persecuting? Who is it I'm hurting? Who am I harming? I am Jesus. That's who you're persecuting. I am Jesus. The Jesus you've been telling everybody is dead. The Jesus you've been saying to everybody, these Christians made up this story about him being resurrected. They're telling this falsehood in order to get the leaders in Jerusalem convicted of, of a false murder of God's Messiah. I'm that Jesus. I am alive. And I have come to reckon with you. If you're Saul of Tarsus, willingly consenting to the murder of Stephen, punishing many, many Christians since that time, on a mission to a new city to bring that reign of terror there as well. And you find out that the one these Christians serve is now talking to you. He has come to meet you on the road to Damascus. What do you think is going to happen next? What do you think is going to happen next? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's incredible to Saul. We know this because he testifies to it over and over again in his letters. It is incredible to Saul the next thing that happens. Verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what to do. It's interesting, and we can, we can read the rest of the story. He goes into the city, he's blind, he fasts, he prays for three days. His whole world has been shattered. And God sends a, a Jewish Christian man by the name of Ananias to him, heals his blindness, and helps him to be baptized and to become who is certainly the most reluctant convert in all of history. There have been some reluctant converts. I don't think anybody tops Saul. It's an amazing story. In fact, it's so amazing that Luke tells it three times. Because I don't, I don't think he believes you're going to believe it. Unless he makes sure that you hear it multiple times. And so there are two other times when he kind of works it in to the story of Luke. Remember Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. He has tons of stories he cannot fit into this, this narrative. This is, this is one of the longest books in the New Testament. And, and so there's tons of stuff he's leaving out. How come he, he manages to tell this story three times? 
because it is an amazing, almost unbelievable conversion story. So again, in Acts 22, now as noon came, I came near to Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And who are you, Lord, I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And then again, in Acts 26, when he's on trial in front of King Agrippa and and a new Roman governor named Festus. One of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to the Gentiles. It's an amazing, amazing turn of events. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Saul, full of hate, full of rage, full of fear, not just cowering in his room from these emotions, but out committing acts of violence because of these emotions. That's all. Jesus comes to and says, you are my candidate to spread this gospel beyond the bounds of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You're the one I've picked to help me take this good news to the ends of the earth. That's you, Saul. I love this story. I think one of the reasons why the story is in here in the book of Acts three times is so that we'll believe just exactly how amazing the grace of God is. If you have trouble believing that the gospel is for all, just look at the story of how God saved Saul. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. That just happened but it's pretty good. Somebody smarter than me can set that to music. We'll see how it goes. Saul's view, what had made him into a murderer, was that the gospel of God is for me and mine. Let's keep it small. Let's build up the walls. Let's keep the others out. And if we can keep enough people out, maybe we will be blessed by God. Maybe all of our dreams can come true if we can just keep people that aren't like us away. That's Saul's worldview. And here, on the road to Damascus, Jesus personally arrives to blow that up. Saul, you've been trying to be safe by shrinking down. I'm going to cause you not to be safe at all. 
but the joy will be that you will grow beyond all things you can imagine. And you're going to help my kingdom to spread to places that right now you hate to even think about. That's going to be you, Saul. You're going to be the one who does that. It's an amazing story. The rest of the book of Acts, actually, after just a couple more things that happened to kind of set the stage for the mission to the Gentiles, the rest of the book of Acts is going to be about how God uses Saul. His name changes to Paul very quickly. Once he starts ministering to the Gentiles, that's the name that makes more sense to them. And so he goes by Paul. That's how we know him in all of his letters in the New Testament. That's the name that made sense in the Gentile mission. He becomes this incredible, incredibly effective missionary and church planter. The letters we have that make up the bulk of the books in our New Testament are really just mission report letters. They are they are mission check-in letters. They are he's writing back to churches that he's helped to establish in most cases, saying, How's it going? I've heard about these problems. I want to talk to you. I want to give you some advice. I want to explain a little bit more about what God is doing in the world. That's what makes up most of the books in our New Testament is letters from this one individual that God took when he was at the height of fear and hatred and murderous rage and turned his life around. By God's grace, Saul the persecutor was transformed into Paul the preacher. Paul lived the rest of his life telling everyone that if God could save him, he could save anyone. That became one of the touchstones of of Saul, whose name changes to Paul, one of the touchstones of his theology. Because he was parachuting into places like Corinth where they had a history of prostitutes who were also priestesses. Of parachuting into places like Philippi where there were gods on every corner. Of places like Athens where once a year the entire population marched up the hill to put fresh clothes on the god that they claimed was taking care of them. The goddess Athena. He was parachuting into these places and the people that he was preaching to knew nothing about the Old Testament. And so to them, for him to come forward and say, nevertheless, the God that you've ignored your entire life, that God wants to save you by the power of his son, Jesus Christ. I can imagine again and again and again the answer that he got back in Corinth, in Athens, in in Philippi, in all the other places he went to. Come on. Maybe God can save, you know, righteous people, but not somebody like me. And Saul's answer, again and again and again. Let me tell you my story of conversion. And you'll understand that if God can save me, he can save anybody. And he does that again and again and again. I didn't have time or I didn't have space on your study sheet. I made the font smaller. I still didn't have space on your study sheet to put in all the different places. I kind of 
as I was studying for this sermon, I kind of did a looking up all the places in his letters where Paul makes some kind of reference <coughs> to what he was, what his past was like. It's just, it's just one of his major pieces of theology. <coughs> we think of Paul as the one, maybe in all of the New Testament, who, who talks the most and gives us the most detailed theory and theology about what grace is, what God's grace is all about. Who better? A person who's taken from the height of murderous rage, small-minded, bar the doors, keep everybody that's not like us out, who's just been blown apart by the love and grace of God till he's bringing everybody in. And the battles he fights the last part of his life has all, everything to do with making churches where anybody could feel welcome and where anybody from whatever background could come and, and sit at the supper of the Lord, as Jeremy talked to us about, and, and share that, whether you were slave or free, or whether you were a Jew or a Greek. That's Paul who learned that that's how big the love of God is and that's how big God is calling us to be. He talks about that again and again and again. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that is in me. That's good stuff. Paul is not talking theory. He knows exactly what God has done for him. He says something similar in 1 Timothy. I love this passage. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, <clears throat> that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Parenthetical note of which I am the chief. Isn't that great? Isn't that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not Christ Jesus came into the world to save Jewish sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save anybody. Everybody. All those who have been under the curse of sin. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. That is powerful testimony. From from this man full of hate who has been blown apart by the love and grace of God. Now he works hard his entire life. He says, I worked harder than all the other apostles. He may have been exaggerating, but he's immediately realizing, but I know that all that's happened in my life, all the effort I've put out is really just the grace of God expressing itself in me. It's just flowing out from me. I know that's God's doing. And that's what I want. I want to just be more and more a conduit to let God's love, to let God's gospel flow through me. In Philippians 3, he says it this way. I didn't have room to put this on your study sheet. 
I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in, in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, into, in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. I've got the best credentials anybody could have had for my old way of life. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, my translation says. Filth, some of your translations say. I consider them garbage if I may gain Christ. What a great testimony of a convert. Saul became Paul. Paul became God's instrument to take his gospel into brand new territories all over the world, to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is going to show us Paul moving steadily through the Mediterranean and finally at the very end reaching the capital of the Roman world, Rome itself, where God uses him even in that cesspool of a city, uses him to begin to preach the gospel. It is an amazing story. Saul, Paul, is the last person on earth to take credit for his accomplishments. He says, yeah, I've been beaten. I've been robbed. I've been shipwrecked. Romans have beaten on me. Jews have beaten on They've. I've done all these things. But I know it's not me. He says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Brothers and sisters, all around you, we see a world that kind of struggles between fear and hatred on one hand and courage and love on the other. All around you, there are voices saying, close the gates, build up the barriers, keep out those who are different. If we find someone who's committed an offense, our main response to them is to, is to condemn them forever. Our great joy is to discover someone in the news who's committed adultery or committed uh, some other crime so that we can feel a brief moment of righteousness in talking about how evil they are. Build the walls. Build the gates. Keep out those who we deem less than us. And the gospel of Jesus Christ to Paul and to us says, Open up 
and bring my sheep into the fold. You don't know out there the people who are right now feeling that they are kicking against what God is doing in their lives, who right now are hurting themselves because they know something is wrong, they just don't know the right way to go that is right. They may look angry, they may look fierce, they may look rich, they may look powerful, but they may be in agony waiting for you to be their light on the road to Damascus. Bring them in, bring my sheep in. Open wide your arms the way Jesus Christ opened his arms. Bring them in. That is the, that's been the gospel from the first century to this century. That will be the gospel until Jesus Christ comes back. Bring them in. Every nation, every tongue, every language on the earth, bring them in. The gospel is for all. If you need to respond to that incredible gospel, if you need to change something in your life, if you need to make things right in your life, or if you are ready to receive baptism, then please, please, please take the step you need to take today as we stand and as we sing.